Well, good morning. Uh, so, I was outed this morning by James. Yes, I play the piano. Um, I would hardly call myself an accomplished pianist, but I do play the piano. There's plenty of people here who could play circles around me. Um, but you were wondering when I, I started playing the piano. Uh, the, the, the answer is age seven. So I started playing the piano at seven. So, yay! Now you know. Well, one more thing about me. If you know me well, you know that I love to go to the movies. I love watching movies. And for me, it's not, it's not an escapism as much as um, I love to sit there and as I'm watching the movie, I love to think about what's going on, about the story and about how they made it. Um, because in, when you watch movies, you learn a lot about culture. You learn about uh, what we care about and value as a culture. We learn about humanity and, and other things. And sometimes you learn about, a little bit about God. So um, one of the things I've learned as I've watched movies is that a story, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter how flashy the movie is, doesn't matter how good the special effects are, it doesn't even matter how good the story is, because if at the end, the ending isn't satisfied, you just walk away, you're not feeling really happy about the movie, right? You know what I'm talking about. You've probably experienced movies like this multiple times, I'm assuming. And one of the movies that um, really came to mind for me when I was thinking about this, is 2001, A Space Odyssey. Have you guys ever seen that one? Yeah, a couple of you guys, right? So this movie is about, uh, uh, well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things, kind of, lots of ambiguity in here, but the, the chunk, the biggest meaty part of the movie is this, uh, these guys in space, and they're astronauts, and you've got this um, AI called Hal, who's on a, on a spaceship, and there's one scene where the astronauts are trying to get back in, and you've got Dave, the astronaut, and Hal, and they're facing off. And Dave says, Hal, open the pod, date, pod bay doors. And Hal says, sorry, Dave, I can't do that. That's exactly how it goes in the movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but that's, I just said it verbatim, same intonation, everything. Uh, anyway, so it's, that's great. It's a wonderful scene. It's really tense and, and uh, some pretty interesting things going on. There it sort of, sort of takes a left turn. Because uh, Dave gets sucked into this portal, and it's really trippy, and you're like, what's going on here? And it lasts forever, and then he gets to the end of the portal, and there's a space baby floating in space. And you're like, what is going on here? What kind of movie did I walk into or watch on my TV or whatever, right? I have to say, I'm guessing that for a lot of us, when we're reading the story and we get to the end of the story, we feel kind of like this. Right? Because you get, you get through this and everything's clicking and you're making sense. Okay, the church is expanding. The Holy Spirit has come. There's guys like Peter going around and, and Paul. And we, you know, Pastor Mark shared last week about Paul's life and the end of his life and how he fought the good fight. He fought the good fight. And all of that makes sense. And then we get to the book of Revelation. And we're like, huh? Because you got, you know, Jesus shows up, but Jesus has eyes of flame and his feet are made out of bronze. And he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. And you're like, what is this? Well, to tell you the truth, I, for the longest time, I felt like that about the book of Revelation. I was like, man, this, this is so confusing. I'm sure many of you feel like that. And the truth is, the book of Revelation is, is one of the hardest books of the Bible to understand. It's true. And it takes a lot of elbow grease and a lot of work to figure out what God is trying to tell us in there. But I have to say, once you get in, once you do that work... Once you look at the historical context and you do some of the tracing back to the Old Testament the, the book of Revelation quotes so often, it is one of the most rewarding books you can understand and read in the Bible. 
How many of you guys did Bible study fellowship this last year? A few of you guys. And you guys know what I'm talking about because you've spent the whole year studying Revelation. And the reason why the book of Revelation is so rewarding is because it's a book about hope. It's a book about hope. Hope. So when we think about hope, what do we hope for as individuals throughout our day? Well, we, we hope for a lot of different things, right? You might hope for the end of the day. You know, if you've got a job that you can't stand, you're hoping that you get off work soon. Or maybe, maybe something a little bit more meaningful. You're hoping for your family to be restored. Or maybe you're hoping for a vacation so you can rest. These are the kind of things that we hope for in our day-to-day life, right? And I would guess for most of us, probably all of us, if you're sitting here in church, you hope one day to be in heaven, right? You certainly don't hope to be in hell, but we hope to be in heaven, right? So, but even then, when we think about what we hope for and, and hoping for heaven, I would say my guess is that most of us in the church, in, in, in American Christianity, have an unscriptural view of what heaven will be. We have, most of us probably have a view that's more influenced by pop, pop culture than by scripture. So this morning, I want to talk about heaven, and heaven is our hope, and I want to see what scripture has to say to us about this hope and hopefully as we study that as we talk and think about that our view of heaven will be more grand than it ever was but before we get into that any further i also want to talk uh, a little bit about this book the book of revelation um well you know actually before i say that one of the things that was on my heart as i was preparing this sermon is i just realized there's so much to say about heaven and so much to say about the end of time you know, there's questions about, what about the rapture and tribulation and all these other kind of things? And uh, I don't have enough time to cover all that. I'm sorry, and I wish I did, because I'd love to talk about it. Thankfully, later this summer, we're doing the Fearless Q series, and we'll get a chance, I'll get a chance personally, to address some of, more of those questions. But today, we'll, we'll sit in this place with heaven. But when we go, come to the book of Revelation, um, the book of Revelation was written by John. Uh, he was on the Isle of... Patmos, exiled to this island. And while he's on this island, he receives this vision. Um, He wrote it, probably most scholars think around the mid-90s of 80, exactly. Um, So the end of that first century. And around that same time, um, in the Roman Empire, the Emperor Domitian was in charge. The Emperor Domitian. Domitian wasn't, wasn't a real nice guy. Uh, he, very unfriendly to the churches and to Christians at the time. Uh, in fact, Domitian encouraged emperor worship. He encouraged people to worship him as a god. So you know the language that we have nowadays in church, we say Lord and Savior a lot. It's kind of churchy, Christianese language. But back then, it was state language. People would use the language of Lord and Savior, and they would say, the emperor Domitian is my Lord and Savior. And as a matter of fact, people got so into this, they, they built temples to the, to the emperor. They, they were cults to him. And in some places, you couldn't buy or sell unless you worshipped the emperor. Sounds familiar. Well, this is the atmosphere, the environment in which John is writing this book, the book of Revelation. And he has this vision. And he's trying to say to these churches that there's something more is going on. Because these churches are in the middle of this. And some of them are a little too comfortable with this arrangement. They're a little too comfortable with emperor worship. And some of them are fighting for their lives. 
and dying because they're resisting what their culture is doing. And so John says, hey, I know you think that this is really tough right now, but there's a different reality going on. And John's kind of doing something, you know, if you, if you go into a bookstore, I know some of you guys will do this. You pick up a book and you say, oh, this looks like an interesting story, but I'm going to flip to the end here. And I'm going to read the ending first. Because I want to know how this ends before I invest myself in this story. And that's kind of what John's doing here. He's saying, you know, I know you guys are in the middle of a story. I know it seems bleak right now, but I'm going to tell you the ending. And I'm going to tell you the true spiritual reality of what's happening right now. It's the revelation, the revealing of, of God's reality, of God on the throne, of what is happening and what will happen for us. So that's the book of Revelation. And without further ado, we'll jump right in. So we're reading today from Revelation chapter 21, if you're looking in a Bible. And if you are using the story, and if you're reading from the story, we're actually reading from page 467 of the story. So either one, join in with me, chapter 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, this morning I pray indeed that you would reveal your plan for us. That you would reveal the ending of the story. The ending of our story. Lord, may it be a hope to us. May we understand and know this vision of heaven that you have for us. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so what about heaven? What, what do we normally see when we flip on a TV and we see what, what most people think about heaven? What do we normally see? Well, usually it's involving some place involving clouds, right? Clouds, maybe some guy with a harp and strumming his harp. And he's got his, his halo and his wings. That's one common image. Or if it's a little more grounded, you see a place that looks like it's got a fog machine all the time running in the background somewhere. Everything's kind of glowy. Um, or maybe if you've been in church, you've heard somebody say, you know, heaven is this place where it's just going to be an eternal worship service. We're just going to sing songs. Hymn after hymn after hymn after hymn after hymn for all of eternity. That sounds great, doesn't it? Well, you know, I love a worship service, but every once in a while I want to worship in some other way than besides singing. So, to be honest, when we talk about heaven, when we think about our culture's common conceptions, and even in church, the reality is heaven doesn't have any real allure for us. As a matter of fact, it seems kind of boring. We, sometimes we can hardly say, ah, I don't know if I really want to go to that place. <laughs> There's a, there's a far side cartoon that I've seen that's really hilarious. It's this guy. He's, he's made it to heaven. He's got his harp and his halo, and he's sitting there on his cloud, and he says, I wish I'd brought a magazine. You know, and we feel like that sometimes when we think about heaven. And you know what? I think that that's a ploy of Satan. I think that's a trick of the devil, that he has robbed from us what Scripture has to say about this place that we are going to, so much so 
that we would feel like that. That's not God's plan for us. That's not what God would have for us. And I think that one of the reasons why we have missed and we have lost the allure of heaven, pool of heaven, is because we have separated heaven from the resurrection. And when we think about heaven, we must go first to the resurrection. And then to understand the resurrection, we have to go to Jesus. But the resurrection, so in, in, in uh, Revelation, when we read chapter 21, remember, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What do you call it when something dies and then comes back to life? Resurrection, right. So not only were we talking about, as scripture describes, the resurrection of our bodies, but we are talking about the resurrection of our world. All that we see and experience and live in day by day will become new, will be resurrected. So we look to Jesus to understand what that means for us because Jesus is the first fruit of our resurrection. That's how scripture describes Jesus. That he's the, the first one to be resurrected. So when we want to understand what does it mean to be resurrected, we look at him. So all the stories, if you remember them, you can recall to mind these, these stories of what Jesus was like after he came back from the dead. Remember some of the details of those So, for example, Jesus ate food. In his resurrected body, the body that is sitting right now at the right hand of God for all of eternity, that body ate food. He had a meal with his disciples. That body that is eternally existent with God and that we will one day encounter again, that body bore the scars of his death. That body was hugged, was touched, was greeted and, and seen by his disciples. It was, it was not a ghost. He was not a ghost, Jesus. He was very real. He was very substantive. Okay, so that's one thing about the resurrection body. But then we realize as we read on and we understand what is happening with Jesus that it's not quite the same because Jesus would appear and disappear at will. He would be able to move through walls. So in some senses, this, this new resurrection body must also be different must be supernatural. And in Jesus, when we understand what's going on with his resurrection body, we realize that heaven and earth have met, have joined. And that's what resurrection is. And that's what we, when we begin to think about what heaven will be, what our eternal state will be, we realize that this, all that we see will become new and resurrected and will be at once familiar but different. So then we begin to think, oh, okay, so that means I'm going to be eating food. Probably the best food you could possibly imagine. That in heaven, there will be culture. There will be a city. And different kinds of people to experience and to know. Stories to hear. As you sit down to your meal, you'll sit down with Peter and Paul. And people you will know and be familiar with. There will be adventures to have. Places to discover. So what the Bible describes as heaven is, is really much more substantive and perhaps more interesting of a place than we may have thought in the first place. I had a friend who uh, did, a, did a study of heaven at length. And he came out of his study saying, I'm never going to make a bucket list. Because I understand what heaven is now, I'm not going to make a bucket list. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense because what is a bucket list? It's, it's a, a list of things that you want to do before you kick the bucket because after you kick the bucket, after you cross 
from death into eternal life, you won't be able to do those things anymore. Well, that's the thinking, right? But the reality is, is, is the truth about heaven is that we're going to be able to do more than we ever could have done in this life. More than we could ever have done in this life. So a bucket list is unnecessary. As a matter of fact, we should be making heaven lists. We should be writing down and dreaming about the things that we are going to be able to do in heaven forever. So, you know, I, I, I think about this. I don't, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I hope that there's dinosaurs in heaven. Because I want to ride a dinosaur. You know? Um, I, I look forward to that meal with Jesus, to eating food with him. I imagine in a resurrected body, maybe there'll be flavors that we've never experienced before. Maybe our vision will be different. We'll see colors we've never seen. Maybe there's going to be places to discover. Maybe we'll be able to go to the depths of the ocean, to outer space, in these new resurrected bodies of ours. When we enlarge our conception of what it means to be resurrected, to live in this world, but changed, renewed, to live in this body, but changed, renewed, I think we need to unlock our imagination about what that can possibly mean. It's a whole different world, a whole different conception of what heaven could be for us. We yearn for this. We yearn for this. And in our heart of hearts, we desire to be in a place like this. And I, I think when we see a beautiful sunset, when, we, when we looking, we're looking you know, uh, at Mount Rainier, for example, I love to stare at Mount Rainier. It's a little dangerous when I'm driving. But I love it. And I think every time we do that, we see a glimpse of heaven, we yearn for that. And we say, there's something in us that says we are made for a place of beauty, for a place of peace, for a place of joy. There's more to this, of course. John goes on and he says that God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. You see, this is the end of the story after all, right? And as the end of the story, we're tying up all the loose ends of the story. And if you remember all the way in the beginning, we lived, mankind, lived in a place that was perfect. It was paradise. We, as, 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 a, as men and women, were in communion with this world and we're in relationship with God. And then the fall came. Sin entered. Man decided to pull away from relationship with God. And in that pulling away, shadow came. Death, sin, brokenness. And now in our world, we know hardly anything different. We don't have any conceptions of what society could look like without sin, what relationship could look like without sin. But God had a plan. That's the story. That from the beginning of time, God had a plan to rectify this. And so we see in the story that God, through Abraham, promises a people who will bless the world. And then in Moses, that people comes into being, and he gives them a law, a way of living. And then in David, we see a promise that there will be a king who will reign eternally. And in the prophets, they speak of the Messiah coming to be with us. And then that scarlet thread leads to Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, dwelling with us. And then Jesus leaves his presence, his spirit with us. And now today you and I 
have his presence with us. A down payment, a deposit of heaven. Because that is the promise. That is the ultimate end. That is where the story is leading to. That one day, we will have unfettered, unmarred access to the presence of God. And why does that matter? Because everything that we yearn for, everything that we long for, peace, restoration, joy, beauty, finds its fulfillment in God. Finds its origin in God. So when we long for heaven, when we see that sunset, when we see Mount Rainier, when we look in the face of a child and see utter joy, and we say, oh, there's something in my being that longs for that. Ultimately, we are longing to be in the presence of God. We are longing to be with Jesus. And that is the promise of heaven. That is the promise of Scripture that one day we will be with Jesus. Of course, there is more. John continues on. He says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And in a word, what John is saying is that all things wrong about our world will be made right. Everything that is wrong about our world will be made right. And we know, deep in our hearts, that this world, something is not right about our world. We, we rail against it. We, we know that there's just something broken about us, about everything that goes on. That's our daily experience. And one of the things about heaven is that what Jesus is telling us, what God is telling through John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that all of this, all of our experience, the pain that we see and witness and experience day by day, it cannot be eclipsed by the joy that we will experience. As a matter of fact, Scripture describes the pain that we experience now as, as almost like a distant, the distant pains of childbirth. Romans chapter 8. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You know, when, when, when uh, Megan and I had our child, I know for a fact, because I was there, that when our son came out and we were gazing at him, the last thing on Megan's mind was the pain that she had just experienced. The joy and the love that we had for our son eclipsed anything that we had just gone through. So when we think about heaven, we think about what we go through day by day, we have to realize that it doesn't compare. The suffering doesn't compare to the joy that we will experience. That is our hope. But until then, we groan. As Paul just said, that we groan, we yearn for this place. And we say, oh, we're not there yet. But we wait and we groan. We say, Lord, how long until that time when things can be restored? And the question for us is, how do we wait? What does that mean for us? How do we live as people of God in hope with this vision of heaven in front of us? 
Well, I think I've said it already. Quite simply, first of all, we, we hope. We become people of hope. In Romans chapter 8, Paul continues on and he says, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is a way of ordering our lives. And as I mentioned earlier, we, every day we come up with these other hopes, little hopes. Hopes that are not illegitimate by any means. They're important hopes that we have. My caution to you, and my, my encouragement to you as Christians, as believers in this vision of heaven, is to not make those hopes an end unto themselves. But to realize that in all the little hopes that we have, even for the end of the day, for a vacation, for the restoration of your family, whatever they may be, that all of those hopes are met in one hope. All of those hopes are met in heaven, in eternal life with Jesus. Because there we may truly, we will truly find restoration. We will truly find reconciliation, redemption. And in this life, some of our hopes may be dashed. We have one hope we can truly hold on to. And when we hold on to that hope that orders our lives, it directs our passions, it directs our time. And so we need to be people of hope with that vision set in front of us. As people with with heaven in mind and with this grand vision of heaven in mind, I think we also need to be people who see God on the throne. The enduring image of the book of Revelation is, is this image of God on the throne. And more than any other visual image in Revelation, John portrays God on the throne. What does that mean for us? Well, there's a story that I heard, and actually someone last night corrected and, and, and confirmed that this story is true. But do any of you guys know um, Jim Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot? Yeah, some of you guys maybe? Okay, good. I see some hands. Awesome. If you don't know Jim Elliott's story and Elizabeth Elliott's story and, and some of the other missionaries, these guys went down to Ecuador and they wanted to reach out to this people group called the Aka. It was a tribe of Indians that had never been reached. And in their first discovery of them, in their, on one of their first encounters, these, these, this people group murdered them. 1956, they brutally murdered five missionaries by the shores of a river. Years later... Um, some of the wives of these men came back, and some of the family members came back and, and continued to minister to this people group, and they came to know Christ. Wonderful story of redemption. But then years later, as they were with these people, they discovered there was more to the story of when those missionaries were murdered on that day, because it turns out there are a group of women who were witnessing this murder from, from the tribe, and they described that as they were witnessing their murder, as these men were being brutally killed, They saw men in white. And these men in white were singing. They were angels singing in the sky. Now, what's interesting about this is that you would think God witnessing one of the murders of his saints, precious blood of his saints, would not be singing a joyful song, but would be mourning. But the truth is, and what strikes me about this story, is that the reality is of, of, of being an angel is that you, as an angel, them, they as angels, saw the throne of God. And so they could witness this horrible act of evil and know at the same time that God is on the throne. And that no matter what evil we witness, 
No matter what happens in this world, the truth is that God is sovereign, that he is good. That is the reality of the book of Revelation. And that is the reality of our lives. So no matter what evil we experience, no matter what horrors we see, no matter how bad the political situation gets in our country, we do not despair. Because we are people who sees the eternal state now. We see the truth of God on the throne for eternity now. And we live our lives not in despair, but recognizing that God is in control, that he gives us hope. So we see God on the throne. Finally, I think that we simply be people of heaven. That we be people of heaven, citizens of heaven. Jesus taught us a prayer. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is what we pray and that is what we do. As people of heaven, we practice heaven. We carry this down payment, this deposit of God's spirit, his presence with us. And so we, as people of God, as people of citizens of heaven, we administer and we practice what heaven is now. And so what that means for us is is that we carry with us what what heaven means. So if you're a real estate agent and you, you wake up Monday and you go to a landowner, you think, as a real estate agent, how can heaven happen now? How can this land flourish How can I bring bring peace into this negotiation? Or if you are a cashier at taco time and you're in in your job and you may not like it very much, but let's say that you're doing what you're doing and your calling is to be a person of heaven, to practice heaven. And so you get that person, they're hungry, and you think, how can I bring joy into this person's life? How can I satisfy their hunger? Because ultimately... That's what will happen in heaven. That is what we are called to do, to be citizens of another world, to live our lives, to pull from the future and bring it into the now. So we don't wait until heaven comes, but now we are the ones who wipe away the tears. We are the ones who alleviate the pain. That is who God has called us to be in his spirit and by his power. One day, there will be a feast. One day, we will sit in the presence of God and we will eat with Jesus. And so as people of God, as people who practice heaven, that's one of the ways that we practice heaven, by doing communion. In communion, we not only do we look into the past and we recognize that Jesus, by his flesh and by his blood, has made a way for us to be with him forever. We acknowledge that in communion. But we also acknowledge that in the present, Jesus is with us. He is present with us now. And then we also look forward and we celebrate one day that there will be a feast. That we will be with him forever. John says in the book of Revelation that blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So I extend that invitation to you now. Are you someone who puts your hope in Christ? Then you are welcome to this feast. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Amen.